This may turn into a drinking while on air podcast. (laughs) I don't think anybody would judge. No, I mean, I would judge myself listening the next day sober, but. Mm, I'd be fine. (laughs) Um, Is your microphone um, set up to be audio coming through? It would help if I had plugged it in. I just, it sounded not like it usually does. So I just thought I'd check. (laughs) Is that better? Wait, say it again. Is that better? Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) This whole time I've been talking and I'm like, so hot shit. Like talking about all my problems. This damn thing wasn't even plugged in. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Solid start. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. This is is actually a good representation of what's going on in my life right now, so. Yeah, it seems like you've been very busy. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll just leave it at that. Yep, that's, that's all there is, really. Just How are you doing? How's it going for you? Um, it's it's good overall. I mean, Wordle's been a little harder than usual lately, which is you know, yeah, rough. the New York Times. I know. And today was my one year anniversary at Root Insurance. Oh, yes. So, yeah, we love that. Congrats! Thanks. Happy Root anniversary. It's the first job I've ever actually enjoyed and like waking up to do each day. So we love that. Yes, we do. And then otherwise, I just spent the evening uh, researching the Crimean Peninsula. Um, oh, so you wrote your notes tonight, too? Oh, I sure did. Like literally <laughs> an hour and a half ago. I love that you said that we were going to do it at eight because I was like, oh, I didn't have any time. Well, I did have time. I just. I'm terrible at managing my time currently. So, so I was going between two stories, which was part of my delay. Cause I was like, I don't know which one I want to do. I was going to do one. So like I, Crimea was going to be my number one story and I'm mainly doing it because Kayla keeps asking us questions in our group chat. And I think I'm just going to send her this episode and tell her to listen to it. Which I'm very thankful for that she keeps asking questions because I don't know anything. Oh, yeah. No, I understand. It's so confusing. And as I was writing this, this could be like a whole podcast on its own, to be quite honest. I'm going to try to fit it in 30 minutes of discussion. Just add it to our list of spinoffs we want to do. Yeah. I mean, you could do literally years of content on just the Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, uh, relations like Putin himself. He, he's a, oh, yeah. <laughs> I read a whole book about the guy. He's very interesting, actually. Um, mm. But yeah, so I, I guess I could just jump in. We can talk yeah. about Crimea first. Tell us about Crimea. Crimea River. Build me a bridge and get over it. <laughs> Russia. That is actually how I think Russians get into Crimea is over a bridge. So that's very. Um, you know what? This is a lot of foreshadowing going on. So I'm just going to let you tell the story. Yeah. So basically, I'm just, I, I kind of have it. Sh- I tried to structure it the best that I could 
to provide a little bit of background first. So just a quick tidbit about the peninsula, why it's important and strategic, then talk a little bit about the ethnic groups that make up Crimea, because that's kind of important for why Russia has interest, or at least they say they have interest in Crimea. Okay. Um, and then I'm just going to go through a quick like spitfire of bloody conflict that has happened in Crimea. Um, and I think you'll feel much like you did at the end of the story about Finland in World War II, where you're like, wow, it's just kind of an unfortunate geographic location. It's actually a very fortunate geographic location, which makes it unfortunate to live there. So, mm -hmm. okay. All right. Okay. So I'm going to kick it off um, with Russian Tsarina Catherine the Great. So mm. she was the first person to annex Crimea from the Ottoman Empire in 1783. And the reason for this is that if you kind of pull up a map and look at it, Crimea sits kind of in a wedge between Ukraine and Russia. But it's kind of also off by itself, um, just jutting out into the Black Sea. So the Black Sea almost looks like, if you look at a map, that it's like shaped around Crimea. So is it like a peninsula? Like it's still attached? It's yes, it's the or Crimean it Peninsula. Just, okay, so it's a, it's not an island. It's still Correct. attached to like the yeah. landmass. Okay, yeah. Um, but it's just a very interesting and strategic access point for Eastern Europe, um, connecting to the Black Sea. And that's kind of why it's been such an important cornerstone of different countries and why they've been so interested in securing the Crimean Peninsula. So that's number one. That's like a very important thing to remember is just strategic location and why you would even want Crimea. That makes sense. It's usually what we fight wars over. Exactly, yeah. Um, oh, lots of wars in this case. <laughs> and then another thing I just wanted to start with background wise is the ethnic groups in Crimea. So for hundreds of years, Crimea has been home to the Tartars, or not the Tartars, that's a sauce, the Tatars. <laughs> like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> home to Tartar sauce and the Tatars, um, which is a group of Turkish, what the hell, Turkish I'm sorry. There's a lot of typos. I'm going to have to restart this paragraph. Ma'am, did you write this or no? <laughs> I did write this, believe it or not. Uh, but I wrote it in like an hour. So that's probably where these errors are coming in. So those Tatars, not Tartars, lived under the Ottoman Empire until, like I mentioned previously, Catherine the Great annexed the region for Russia. So um, I'm sorry. People are probably so tired of me interrupting you all the time, but is there a reason why she annexed them? Or she just was like, I'm tired of the Tartars today. So I did not really research that. I That's just fine. assumed based on we the could do a part did, two. Yeah. My assumption was just the strategic location of Crimea. I mean, it's a major port city, Sevastopol, which is on the very tip of Crimea. So they annexed an important port city? Well, that is an important port city in Crimea. I'm just saying that Crimea, because of its access to the Black Sea, is just a very strategic place for trade, for military, 
Sevastopol is the city like on the very tip of Crimea. Wait a minute. Hold okay, on. Go ahead. Yep. What does annex mean? Basically, like you took it into your territory. You're like, this is mine. This is why it's not making sense for me. I'm thinking of it backwards and that they gave it away. Oh. Like, <laughs> no, they, that's they why took I was it. Like, that's why I was like, <laughs> why would they get rid of an import, import city? Never mind. Forget it. Keep going. Yeah, no, they took it. They did not give it. So the Tatars are considered the indigenous people of Crimea because they were there during the 13th to the 17th century. So they've been there forever, long time. Um, mm. And they were actually the largest ethnic population in Crimea until the end of the 19th century. But, and I'll mention a couple things of why this flipped later on. Um, you'll see why the majority shifted. But as of the 2014 census, Tatars only made up around 12.5% of the population. Ukrainians made up around 15% and Russians made up around 70%, which is very important That's to remember so sad, for the conflict though. right now. Yes, it is. And now I'm just going to kind of talk about the history of conflict here and why we came to the current population makeup we have now in Crimea. So first kind of major conflict is the Crimean War in 1853, which ran through 1856. So essentially, long story short, I won't go into all the details, but it's about religion. Shocking. Um, and it has you to do with say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it has to do with Russian Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches. Again, not shocking. Um, so yeah i mean we're not surprised that nobody nobody has like nobody is just surprising anymore or uh i was gonna sound so smart and then i literally <laughs> unmuted myself forget it i'm just you know what i'm not even here it's your podcast <laughs> just put her in a cruise control <laughs> this is a mess <laughs> So at the end of the Crimean War, so 1856, Russia signed the Treaty of Paris, which is where they accepted defeat in the Crimean War. And it agreed to dismantle its naval base in the port city of Sevastopol, which is that really important city I was talking about earlier that's like on the tip of Crimea. So here we see that they're losing strategic advantage in this area that Catherine the Great had annexed for Russia. So they had to dismantle their military there. And this was because Britain and France and their other allies wanted to eliminate Russia as a military threat in the Black Sea. So that was kind of like their punishment for losing the wars. Like they're no longer going to be a military threat in the Black Sea. Okay. <laughs> as if that ever worked. Uh, which Especially we'll find with Russia, but okay. Yeah, we'll find out that it definitely did not work here by the end of this. Whatever we have to do to convince ourselves that we're <laughs> better than them, I guess. <laughs> so then we hit the Russian Civil War, which starts in 1917 and goes through 1921. And this is the stuff we all learned about in school about the Bol Bolshevik Revolution. Um, 
And during that time, Crimea changed hands a bunch of times. Um, they were under 10 different governments, to be exact, during that short span of 1917 to 1921. Oh my which is God, wild. 10? Yeah. So uh, the reason I kind of wanted to go through this is just like, that's how important Crimea is and has been throughout history in Eastern that's Europe. That's crazy. That like 10 different exchanges of government happened, not necessarily 10 different countries, but like different parties ruling within these Eastern European states. Um, so that was like, that's wild. And by the end of that 1921, you know, they've got this government in Crimea that's established until basically World War II. Which is also, again, not shocking because World War II just flipped the world upside down. So, yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> so the Soviet Union um, takes in what's called the Crimean Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic in 1921. So they're a part of the Soviet Union. Um, and at this time, just an update on our population here, 25% um, of Crimea's population is Tatars now. So it has decreased um that's a gigantic is, decrease in that time frame yes and it's because of stalin which i'll talk about here in a second again okay surprise surprise yeah we're, we're not going to be surprised by anything the russians do throughout this story um but i'm going to tell you about it anyways and you can feign surprise if you want but you don't have to we we all know i'm ready to great. be fully surprised <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, you're not going to be. If you want to leave now, go ahead. I am. Um, Bye. <laughs> so a large Slavic population influx occurred in the 1930s. And this is because of Soviet policy of regional development. So basically, there was a lot of just like open, you know, people flowing between these Eastern European countries. And it permanently shifted in hand with Stalin and his discrimination against Tatars, it completely shifted the ethnic balance of Crimea. Mm. So during World War II, Crimea was seen of some very bloody battles. Um, again, because of its strategic position, the leaders of the Third Reich were very anxious and wanted to conquer the peninsula and because they wanted it for their policy of resettling Germans in Eastern Europe. So this Crimea becomes a big pivotal spot for the Germans in their takeover of Europe. So this is a very Definitely. strategic point for them. Well, anytime you can take over not only a city on this like ocean or sea or whatever, but a port city, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a smart move right there. Yeah, exactly. So this is just once again, like, People want Crimea. It doesn't matter who you are. People want it for strategic reasons. So the German army broke through and they actually did occupy Crimea um, for a short while, um, a couple years, with the exception of the city of Sevastopol, um, which was later awarded the honorary title Hero City after the war, just because they held out so long against the Germans. But they it did get captured eventually in 1942. Um, but again, we have this flip-flopping of who's in control of Crimea. In 1944, 
Russia regained control. And this is where immediately Stalin was like, see ya to the Tatars. So 200,000 were deported to Siberia and Central Asia. And the reason he did this, he said that these ethnic Muslims were traitors to the Soviet Union and he because they were pro-German. So he said, all right, Sia, we're shipping you off to Asia and Siberia. And then he brought in more Russians to replace the workforce that was once made up of Tatars. So he said, Sia, minority population, bring in the Russians, so, shifting even more of the ethnic balance in the region. So I know, I know how this is going to sound when it comes out. And I just don't, I would love for someone to educate, then maybe it's you, educate me on a better way to ask this. But we literally just got done fighting a war where someone killed 6 million Jews, gypsies, black individuals, whatever, just basically anybody who he didn't agree with or didn't like the look of or whatever. But we're okay with someone shipping people off to Siberia for basically the same reason? Yes. I I wish I could explain that. The only thing I can think of is that this happened in 1944 and the war, you know, was all wrapped up and ended in 1945. And maybe there was just less eyes on this deportation with everything else going on. But I don't, I don't have a clear answer for that. Um, would be interesting to know though. I think you probably just accept some horrors of war while others have to go punished. Which is fine if you accidentally like ran over someone's foot with a tank, but you're deporting like a bunch of people from their homeland that I you stole. Like yeah. they didn't willingly say, Hey, we want to be a part of the Soviet union. Like you took them. And then yeah. you're going to turn around and be like, I don't like you. So now you have to live in Siberia. And now granted, if you actively like choose to live in Siberia, God bless you. But come on, we know why he sent them there. Well, Actually, just, just to clarify, a majority of them were sent to Asia and Uzbekistan. But still, like, to send someone to a country they've never been before? Yeah, I'm not qualifying it at all. Um, but I think I'd probably rather go to Uzbekistan. Than I mean, Siberia. yeah, if I had a choice. But yeah, I don't think they didn't have given a choice. choices. No. So... Again, we're like shifting the balance here in the region away from this Muslim population of Tatars and it's becoming more and more Russian in its makeup. But now I'm going to jump into this weird 1954 transfer of Crimea. Again, Crimea is changing hands yet, yet again. Oh, I'm so surprised. So Stalin dies and Nikita Khrushchev, who comes to rule over the Soviet Union following Stalin, 
He transfers Crimea to Ukraine in a move hailed as, quote, a noble act on behalf of the Russian people, end quote. So essentially, this move, it's theorized that the reason he signed Crimea over to Ukraine was that he was trying to appease Ukrainian leadership and solidify his position of power after Stalin's death because a power struggle happened after Stalin died and Nikita Khrushchev was essentially just trying to gain some political power here by being nice to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So U- Ukraine has Crimea. Um, and, you know, it's part of the Soviet Union. I mean, at this point, Crimea... Well, let me jump into the 90s. So we, the Soviet Union collapse, collapses in, I think, 91 is like the exact year. Yeah. (laughs) Again, not very shocking that it collapsed. Uh, But when it collapsed, Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union before the collapse, I didn't know this. They had the third largest atomic arsenal in the world. What? is weird. So the United States and Russia were like, whoa, hold up. So they worked with Ukrainian leadership to denuclearize the country. And in return, they gave the warheads, the nuclear warheads to Russia in exchange for security assurances that Russia would never attack the Ukraine. (laughs) So, okay, (laughs) hold on. So you're telling me that the top three nuke spots, U.S., Russia, and the Ukraine. Yes. And then we work with Russia to talk Ukraine to Ukraine and be like, yo, man, you don't need all those. And we, a active party in the cold war against russia say yeah russia you can have these extra nukes yes just just pinky promise you're not going to use them against us you're that telling me that's what happened 100 yes i hate it here <laughs> i hate it here <laughs> so Crimea is now this Ukrainian region, but they have a special autonomy um, and they still have large Russian military bases on their land because this treaty in 1997 allowed Russia to keep their Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol under a lease that ran through 2042, which I'm just going to tell you right now that lease is no longer valid because of what has happened, what happened in 2014. Which I don't know how much you know about what happened in 2014 in Crimea. I probably nothing because I don't even remember what I was doing in 2014. (laughs) So in February 2014, Ukraine's pro-Moscow president, so like pro-Russian president, he was ousted from power. And then basically what happens is these strange bands of armed gunmen start seizing government buildings in Crimea. 
and everybody's like, what's going on? What's happening? Um, resident Crimeans started holding rallies to show support for the president who was pro-Russia. And they started calling to secede from Ukraine and rejoin Russia yet again. So on March 16th, the Crimeans voted overwhelmingly for Russia to take Crimea back in as part of their territory. So this happens. But so, that was most likely because major more of the majority of their population is now Russian, though, right? Yes. And okay. the thing about it is that <laughs> I remember learning about this in a course in undergrad. Um, but basically just these men wearing random, like, plain Jane, like uniforms just started storming these buildings and gun and guns. And Russia was like, we have nothing to do with that. We don't know what you're talking about. These people keep like influxing into Crimea and Russia's still like, mm, not me. It's not me. I'm not doing that. 100%. It comes out later that this was 100% Russia. Anyone who believes them at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Like you should probably just not drive a car because I don't trust you on the road. <laughs> so basically this annexation of Crimea where Russia yet again pulls Crimea back into their web of influence, it has now displaced nearly 2 million people and it has destroyed the country's infrastructure. And like you were just mentioning, um, Putin justified the aggression by asserting that Crimea is mostly comprised of ethnic Russians now, which he's not wrong, but the way that it got there is just kind of devastating. Um, and, you know, the usual course throughout history where indigenous people in a land get expelled from it and this new majority comes in and just completely turns the region on its head. So that happened in 2014 so now there's been this ongoing long conflict between ukraine and russia over crimea and so i'm sorry is this so is this basically what the ukrainian russian like argument is mainly about is just crimea i, I mean i'm assuming it's because they also want ukraine as well, or are they just wanting Crimea? So now the issue is that Ukraine wants to join NATO, which uh, is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And okay, so what's happening today is that Russia presented the US with a list of demands, some of which were non-starters, shocking for the United States and allies and NATO. But basically, Putin wants NATO to stop expanding eastward and deny membership requests to Ukraine. And they want NATO to roll back their troop deployment in countries that joined after 1997. So, what? Yes. Because How can he even demand that? He's one guy for one country. Russia does not want people close to their borders. That is like, if you know nothing about Russia, that's the thing to know. They don't want NATO anywhere near it. And there are actually some foreign policy experts who argue that at the end of the Cold War, NATO should have never moved close to Russia's borders in the first place because they have created a lot of this fire that's going on in Eastern Europe because 
it's it's a really interesting ground because NATO has an open door policy that says sovereign countries get to choose their security alliances, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. But people are saying NATO should have never gotten close to Russia. We should have all expected this, forecasted that this was going to be an issue. They've been saying it was an issue for years. So it's like a weird kind of slippery slope. And now Putin's kind of like back off. It is what it is. Like we have Crimea get NATO away from us. We do not want Ukraine to join NATO. And that's kind of where we're sitting today. I just feel like we're literally watching the political version of Kanye West. (laughs) And if you don't know what I'm referring to, literally get on any social media. But like it's one man that I feel like is making demands for countries that have nothing to do with him like if i am ukraine for instance because this is what we're talking about and i am my own country and i want to join like me my um my government and my people agree that we're going to join nato no one can stop us from joining nato except for nato like why are we letting one man make like why i just don't understand like why well I, I don't let me it. add some additional context here too that on the eastern border of ukraine so it's not all about crimea but the crimea crisis kind of catapulted us to where we are now because when russia annexed crimea back in 2014 separatists who were still pro-russian that especially on the border of ukraine basically defected and they have been trying please they they were like we want to be part of russia too basically and they were like we're not participating in ukraine anymore we are russians so they're actually ever since that annexation happened this conflict has been going on along the eastern border as well of ukraine where these separatist rebels have captured large swaths of Eastern Ukraine. So that's why I wanted to go through Crimea because like understanding how Crimea got to where it is and why it's important is it's central to this conflict because that's what catapulted this ongoing conflict between Ukraine and Russia that we're now seeing today. So Crimea, at this point, 8.44 p.m., Tuesday, February 15th. Crimea is with Ukraine or Russia? Russia. But so now we're done fighting over Crimea and we're just fighting over the NATO situation now? Yes, but part of it is Putin is concerned that if Ukraine joins NATO the alliance will try to recapture Crimea. I so like Russia has but can't Crimea. we just let Crimea speak for itself? Well Crimea like if we're if we're letting speak for itself by saying they wanted to join Russia again. Okay. I'm I'm confused I guess I'm personally confused at how we can say Ukraine can speak for itself 
and join NATO. But Crimea cannot speak for itself and go back to Russia or stay with Ukraine or hell, join the United States at this point. Like if that's what they want to do, let them do it. I'm confused at why this is a fight. Well, Ukraine is obviously upset about Crimea being annexed, right? So we get that. But Putin also has this view on Ukraine and Russia that they are one nation. So he kind of believes they should be cooperative and a single nation together. And he believes that Ukraine's current leaders are anti-Russian. And so we he know still that sees them as the Soviet Union. Kind of. Yes. Which it's not shocking because Putin has worked for the government. Like he started his career when it was the Soviet Union. So like he's he's probably still like he was probably brought up in that old Soviet Union thought cycle. This is like when we discuss the fact that Congress needs term limits. Yes. And this is a good example of how they're similar because it is 2022. And I feel like somebody who was actively participating in the political machine when the Soviet Union was still around probably should not have as high of a pool at this point. So I might do... That's just my personal feeling. This does not in any way reflect Whitley's as well. I'm just letting you know what my opinion is. No, I I get that. Um, it's interesting. I might do kind of a, you mentioned term limits. Um, I love a good term limit. Everything about Russia is just completely, like in the 90s when it collapsed, all these giant business oligarchs came in and ruled Russia. Mm-hmm. So like there was like this decentralized power where everybody's warring to take control. They see it up for grabs, right? Mm-hmm. And then we kind of get a little bit of stability, like Putin brings stability to this situation where there's no leadership. So people really value Putin's early days of leadership. Right. But he, I mean, he's very autocratic in his role and he's not like, he's not like a fair, just leader. And he tried to make it look like he was, which I might do a story on this because it's very interesting by switching back and forth in the presidency with his vice president. So his, but he was always still in control. So he would, he would be president. And then the next time he would have his vice president run for president and he would be the VP candidate basically. And, but not vice president. I think I'll have to double check. But after like two times of that, they did it a few times. And then eventually Putin was just like, we're not doing term limits anymore. I think we're more similar than people think. Yes. Than pe- actually not think. People want to admit. Yeah, I'm trying to 
the guy's name oh prime minister i'm sorry not vice president i was i knew that in my head i was like it's not a vice president but it's like kind of like a very close like yeah leadership role but yeah uh medvedev was his name so i'll i'll have to do a story on that just because it's very interesting to yeah. I'm trying to remember the term for it. It's, it's something like castling or something like that um, is the term, but I'll have to do do one on that. Like I said, there's a lot to talk about with Russia. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not going to be able to fit it all in in this. I probably already run over my like time trying to explain this conflict. Um, We're allowed to have a long episode every once in a while. That's true. Yeah. This will be like the mistresses. You'll just sprinkle in some Russia issues every once in a while. Yeah, there you go. Maybe we can coordinate them so people will get some Russia, some mistresses, and maybe yeah. some Russian mistresses. Oh, oh, I could <laughs> do that. Yeah. Some of those. If there's not, I would die of surprise. Yes. <laughs> I would die of surprise if there wasn't one currently. <laughs> well... We won't get into that either. We'll, we can talk about Putin's romantic life and uh, relationships. That could be my area of expertise. Yeah, you do see, the politics, I do the drama. You can find a lot of really interesting stuff on on Putin's marriage and life. And uh, Oh, I'm sure. But anyways, I'll let you. We'll come back to Russia at some point. I'll talk about them certainly again, because I find it just such, a, such an interesting region. Yeah. Um, but, but what do you have for us today? Well, today we are going to talk about um, the <laughs> New England uh, vampire scare. Panic? Oh. Mystery, whatever you want to call it. Um, so we are going back to New England in the 19th century so we're talking about rhode island eastern connecticut southern massachusetts southern massachusetts sorry there's too many s's in that word yeah uh vermont and then a couple of other areas sprinkled in but those are the big ones okay Um, i'm excited for this let's go yeah so during this time We're just going to jump right in. So during this time, uh, there is a tuberculosis outbreak. (laughs) Who doesn't love that? Yeah, a good old TB. We'll probably have another one soon just based on current uh, anti-vax. But go ahead. Anyways, that's another episode. That's a first season episode. So so at the time, they called this consumption. So consumption and tuberculosis I might use interchangeably during this episode. Um, so here's what it is. Tuberculosis is now known to be a bacterial disease, but as we have alluded to, people did not know how to take care of themselves and use proper hygiene before, like, I would say 1940. that's about where it got good like mostly sanitary sorry for my dog barking in the background but anyway um so because they didn't have this great hygienic idea uh to literally do anything that would help them with their health 
uh, the cause for TB was definitely not known in the 19th century. Um, so how it kind of worked was one family member would be infected. And then because they all live in the same house and never wash their hands and touch shit, um, they would then infect the rest of the family because now everybody in the household is getting sick. They were under the impression that the dead relatives were consuming the lives of their living relatives. Here we have the reason of why they call it consumption. Oh, yes. So if you ever wondered why tuberculosis looks called consumption, that is why. That is so interesting. I honestly didn't even know consumption was related to TB. Yes. I thought it had to deal with alcohol consumption. That's a common mistake people do, uh, do think, but no, um, tuberculosis actually, because oh. they think that you're consuming your living relatives, like your, their energy and their health and stuff. So... this idea wasn't common. Um, it <laughs> was literally in new England and Europe, <laughs> <That was it. laughs> which makes right. sense because this was literally like what, um, 100, 200 years after the Salem witch trials. So like new England was not doing well anyway <laughs> with their ideas. <laughs> So what they would do, because now they're convinced dead relatives and they're dead, they're not like dying in the house. They're like, because of the lack of hygiene, the lack of knowledge, the lack of medical knowledge, people hardly ever survived from TB. So, well, at this time, so they would die pretty quickly. So their idea was that you get it, you die. And because you're dead and they don't know what's causing this, your, your dead body is sucking the life out of your family. (laughs) And that is why they're sick. It certainly doesn't help the circumstance that you've got a newly dead relative and you're sick and (laughs) yes, it doesn't can't be easy. As my stories typically do, it gets worse. Mm. So their great idea, because, you know, we just got done murdering people for being witches. These people have to be vampires. Logical, logical next step. So (laughs) which demon is it? It wasn't witches. We'll try vampires this time what they would do is they would (laughs) exhume the bodies and look at the internal organs and they decided that if the organs um were considered fresh and in this instance that means the heart and organs contained what they deemed as like new blood 
which we know now as if you do it early enough, your, your blood is still flowing for a certain amount of time, especially during this time frame when they most likely were not doing autopsies. So, um, they're literally like this person's dead, have a funeral, shove them in the ground. Like that was literally the extent of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they were like, well, obviously if there's fresh blood in here, they, that's because they're taking it from the living relatives. So to stop these vampires from attacking not only the family, but local population, they would burn the internal organs. That's not very hygienic either. No, especially because you literally just died from TB. Yes. But again, they're, they're at this point, all I can say is, you know what? Bless their heart. They're trying the best. <laughs> yeah. Good for them. So at least they're doing something like they're not just sitting there, like accepting death, I guess that's the, as much as I can give them. So, um, sorry, I was going to just ask, like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure TB is airborne. So yeah, if you're, I don't know if that lines up. Uh, oh, just wait. Because again, it gets worse. Okay. So maybe I'm gonna... this, this story is literally worser and worser. Okay. So oh my god, I just okay. So in order to stop the attacks, they're burning these organs. And then they would rebury the body. Sometimes they thought, you know what? This is not enough. We're going to decapitate the body as well. I don't know why I could not find it. But what I can tell you, Whitley, <laughs> is that the family member said, you know what is an even better idea? Let's, let's inhale the smoke. <gasps> oh, or, or better than that, consume the ashes of the burned organs. Oh no. So we can cure ourselves. Oh, how wrong they were. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you've heard of this, um, but there have been a couple things I've watched. I forget. I forget what the, I want to say maybe mysteries at the museum is where I first heard of this, but I could be wrong. But one of the most notable cases from this time frame is Mercy Brown. Have you heard of Mercy at all? I have not, no. Okay, so Mercy grew up in Rhode Island. Um, end of the 1800s. She dies at age 19 in January 1892. She dies because her mother contracted consumption. 
So she passed it on to her whole family, as we just learned happened very often. So she gives it to Mercy, Mercy's brother, and Mercy's sister. So, and my understanding is that she had a sister and two brothers, her mother, her father, and herself. So six people total. Okay. One brother and her dad did not have it. Got it. Okay. So this, this is like, important. This, this is important. Like a, uh, like ACT, like test question. Or like something. I'm giving you a math problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's important to know this because after everything is said and done, Mercy, her mother, her sister, and her one brother die and they get buried. The neighbors in the community are convinced, like mob mentality convinced, that one of the six, not six, sick family members was a vampire. (laughs) I just like this. I, I feel like people think I'm dumb and I'm having a brain like aneurysm at this point but like I just cannot believe this story ever and the fact like I just can't wait to also tell you it though because it's insane so two months because it takes them two like literally two months to me I'd be like if I'm going to convince someone of a vampire it's going to be like real quick oh yeah two months two months after Mercy's death Her father, George, gave permission for the community to exhume his family's bodies. All four of them. What? Because they had to find out which one was a vampire, Whitley. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All right. Continue. He did not believe anyone was a vampire. But we all know what the power of suggestion does. Group think. I'm sure like this was a scary time because they didn't know what was killing everybody. So I'm sure he was just like, get off my back. Like, okay, dig them up. Whatever you think is necessary. Mm -hmm. So when they examined mercy, and this is what's crazy because remember, I just told you it's been two months since they buried her. Yes. She showed signs of little decomposition, fresh blood in her heart, and she was turned in her grave, like on her stomach instead of on her back. Uh, Is there an explanation for this or no? (laughs) Nobody knows. That's, I'm pretty sure it was mysteries at the museum and that's why it was on there. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how she had like freshly pumped or whatever blood in her heart because she's been dead for two months and turned in her grave. And they weren't embalming. So, and she had little Mm -hmm. decomp. Hmm. Make it make sense. Yeah, no, I... 
the only thing like I can think of that would like answer that is there was just like hysteria and like these people said this, which like cascaded a rumor throughout the, like the town and then throughout the city and then you know like kept. And that that's, could be it. That's I mean, the it could only be thing. An inaccurate could... story. Yeah, that's that's just the thing that I think most of. But I mean, yeah, that's. It's a little uh, suspicious. It is a little sus. So, obviously, this does not help anyone's case. And Mercy is the vampire. Dun, dun, dun. I'm glad they found their culprit. Well, it gets, this is like where it's like worse or worse or worstest. <laughs> Great. So... Because they're now convinced she's the cause of the consumption, not only in her family, but the whole town. Like she's the one causing consumption everywhere in her town. She's like patient zero because she's the vampire. Yeah. Well, here's what these, these smart asses do. They burn her heart, mix it with water, and make her surviving brother take it in order to stop the influence. What? Yes. <laughs> that is insane. I wish everyone could see your face. <laughs> yeah. That like makes me sick to think yes. about. Well, I'm here to surprise you because it wasn't successful and he died two months later. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's the story of Mercy Brown. Um, if you want to know how this kind of like inspired things in uh like the like current culture or whatever. So this incident was the inspiration for Caitlin R. Kernan's short story called So Runs the World Away. And it makes explicit reference to the affair. And then it has been suggested by scholars that Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula, mm -hmm. knew about this case through newspaper articles and based the main character of Lucy, Lucy Winstenra upon her, um, on upon, upon Mercy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a well-known story people have talked about it for years and years and years and years um if bram stoker really did base his character of lucy off of her i mean it kind of makes sense yeah but that is how we panicked about vampires in new england after we panicked about witches and uh mercy brown we should have started with that one it's a lot light maybe not lighter but uh little more <laughs> hysterical than my story. well i'm hoping maybe i can find one where new england has convinced themselves that they have a werewolf because i'm kind of on a roll at this point i think you should i, I like mean, you did with the witch trials i did vampires both of them in new england like they have to have thought that there were werewolves at some point oh for sure werewolves what else fairies ghosts ghosts 
something there has to, well, i mean i'm sure there's ghosts every everybody has a ghost story yeah that's fair hmm see what hmm. we can find yeah we'll dig it up all right i'm gonna go hop Make quickly sure and edit this and get it uploaded before midnight like a college project <laughs> yep and we're just gonna ask really quick before whitley does that that you remember to please leave us a review yes and tell your friends about our our podcast and our social media yeah if you like us if if you hate us don't leave a review just like walk away and and yeah. just forget our name and we're getting pretty cool because the other day i made a tiktok and we got over 800 views so you might want to jump on the train early yeah watch out for us millennials on tiktok just kidding do <laughs> not go see my tiktok it's really bad actually go look at willie's tiktok oh god hilarious. <laughs> yeah i have an idea for an actual good tiktok account I'm not going to share it because I want to actually do it. It has to do with music. Oh, I'm so surprised. I know, shocking. It's basically how I make every single song sound really sad. So just think of like, it's getting hot in here, but like sad white girl version. It's getting hot in here. Like that kind of? Yeah, I'll do it exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> you can just do that one for me but uh, nobody wants to hear me sing that's not my forte in this relationship i that's enjoy what you're just here there. for <laughs> don't lie to these people <laughs> <laughs> we're here to tell the truth sure <laughs> it's getting haunted Thank you.